Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. We are glad you're with us this morning. If you have children that are going down to kids' church, they can dismiss with Miss Melody out uh, the back. Um, but as we gather today, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving this past week. I hope you had a Thanksgiving full of food, fun, maybe some football. Ours had a lot of football. Uh, and most importantly, I hope you had the opportunity to pause and give thanks uh, for the many blessings that God has given you in this life. But as we transition from Thanksgiving, at least in my home, it's now appropriate to bust out the Christmas decorations and the Christmas music, the Christmas sweaters, the peppermint mochas. Um, I know the calendar is not yet December, but we are going to transition to our Christmas Advent series today. And this year, we're not going to look at the characters of the Christmas story or really even uh, the story necessarily itself. But instead, we are going to the Old Testament and to the book of Isaiah in the book of Isaiah, there is a prophecy that the prophet Isaiah shared some 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And in this prophecy, Isaiah described the Messiah that would come and save the world. And in that prophecy, he laid out five names or in those five characteristics of who the Messiah would be. And so over the next four weeks and then culminating on, Easter e on Christmas Eve, not Easter Eve, Christmas Eve, we're going to look at those names and examine what they teach us about who Jesus is and then how it is that we are to relate with him and how it is that he loves us as his followers. So if you turn your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to read verses 2 through 7. And as you turn there, I'm going to read for us one other prophecy from the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 7:14, we read the first of the five names listed in Isaiah. This is the name that we're going to look at on Christmas Eve, but I just wanted you to read it today so that you know that I indeed can count to five. Um, but it says in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. All right, so that's the first one. All right, Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulder, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders." And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and, in, and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you are the long-awaited Savior. God, we thank you that you fulfilled every prophecy given, that, that you've proven yourself of who you are and that you are good and that you are mighty and that you are wonderful. And so, God, I pray today as we study this name of Wonderful Counselor, Lord, that you would reveal to us who it is you are and how it is that you love us and how you desire to care for us and lead us forward. And, God, I, I pray that no matter what we're going through, Lord, I pray that we would see that you are a God that loves us and that cares for us. It feels what we're going through, Lord, and that you desire to lead us forward. So, God, I pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds today, Lord, and that we would grow closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So before we get into the name Wonderful Counselor and what this teaches about Jesus and how we are called to relate with him, 
I want to take just a second, because this is the stuff I love, and give us some context in history surrounding this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. This promise or this prophecy is given to King Ahaz in 730 B.C. And King Ahaz was a wicked, evil king of Israel. He had led the country away from God, and they were suffering because of it. And at this time, the Assyrian army is knocking at the gates of Jerusalem, and the defeat seems imminent. They are bigger, they are stronger, they are mightier. There seems no defense. And so King Ahaz finds himself backed into a corner. He's assuming the Israelites are going to be wiped off the face of the earth. And so what do we do when we're backed into a corner? Well, it's at this point he, like us, he reaches out and he calls out to God for help. And it's that context that God sends Isaiah to give this very prophecy. And I don't know about you, but this seems like a strange prophecy, a strange hope, a strange answer in the midst of imminent attack. I'm sure King Ahaz was hoping that Isaiah would tell him that God was going to perform a miracle and wipe out the Assyrians. But instead he tells him that one day in the future a child will be born. The government will sit on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And he will sit on yours in David's throne forever. And at first glance we think to ourselves, how is that possibly helpful and good news for King Ahaz and for the people of Israel? Let's look at why this was good news. We, like King Ahaz, we so often want God's help in the pressing and in the immediate. And God helps us in those times. But God's greatest help, his greatest hope, he gives us no matter what we are facing is Jesus. And it's the promise of a future and an eternity with him. For King Ahaz, God here promises a future and a better future. God promises Ahaz that a new king, a greater king is coming. This means the Assyrians will not wipe you out today. But instead, God has great plans for the people of Israel, and their kingdom will reign forever. When we focus on the problem, it often feels as though this is it. It feels as though this problem might be the end of me. It might be the end of my future. But when we lift our eyes and we focus on God and his promises, his future, then we find the perspective to face tomorrow. God has promised me an eternity within him in heaven if I am his. That means the pressing crisis of tomorrow, of the week, of the year. It might be real, but it won't be the end of my future. I can find hope in him. And that goes for our children and our family as well. And that's the promise he gives to Ahaz. There will be a tomorrow and there will be a future. And not only does God promise a future in Jesus, but God offers a solution to our greatest need and the greatest need of every man, woman, and child. Our greatest need, as we have often said, is not the crisis of the week, but our greatest need is our sin and the separation that causes between us and God. God is sending Jesus to meet our greatest need and to solve our greatest problem. He sends Jesus who will live a sinless life we couldn't live to die the death our sin deserved and then to rise victorious over the grave three days later. God, in the midst of his offer to help Ahaz, promised a Messiah that would ultimately save us from our sins and transform our hearts. Right? We cry out to be delivered from bad health, but God wants to deliver us from the curse of death that causes bad health. We cry out to be delivered from injustice and from broken relationships. But God wants to deliver us from the sin and the selfishness that breaks those relationships. We cry out for victory. God promises a Messiah who takes away the hatred that drives us into battle and disagreement. 
So that's the first way this prophecy is good news for King Ahaz. There is a future, and we can know there is a future for us in the midst of trials and crises. And then the second way this is good news is found in those names. It's found in those names of who Jesus would be. And here they are again. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are good news because they describe who Jesus will be and how God desires to relate with us as his children, as his followers. Jesus came to, came to be and he relates with us today as a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. So today we're going to look at that first one, wonderful counselor. And the name wonderful counselor, it comes from two Hebrew words. It comes from the Hebrew word Pele and Yowitz. And Pele means beyond understanding. It's a word that you use to describe something that is too wonderful to be described with words. He is wonderful. He is glorious. He is magnificent. He is awesome. The word Pele would be like awesomer or most awesomest in our culture, right? Jesus is so great. He is so wonderful. He's so awesome. He, we can't describe him, so we start making up words. That's who Jesus is. And the counselor comes from this word yowitz. And it means one who advises or instructs or guides. But here's the key. He does so from a position of authority. When we hear a counselor today, we think of someone who listens and sympathizes with us. We think of a friend that we can lean on. But that's not what we're talking about here. This word is talking about someone who hears us, but then advises, then instructs, then guides with the power and authority to change things. He doesn't just listen and sympathize, but Jesus in his authority guides us, directs us, advises us, and leads us to healing in him because he is almighty and he is able. And so the first thing we're going to look at today is is how is it that we relate to, or who is Jesus, our wonderful counselor? And then after that, we're going to look at how is it that we respond or how do we relate with him? And so the first thing we see about Jesus, our wonderful counselor, is that he understands our struggles Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 reads, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The author of Hebrews says Jesus gets it. He understands it. He can relate to you. Sometimes when we're going through a difficult situation, someone will come up and say, man, I understand what you're going through. Right? And that seems empty because unless they have been through the exact same thing, how can they possibly understand what we're going through? The author of Hebrews says Jesus does understand. He knows intellectually what you're going through and he feels it with you. When you come to him in need of counsel, he knows your situation. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. And because of this, verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we should approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So that when we approach him, we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. John 1 says the word became flesh. Jesus became man like you and he dwelt among us. Jesus experienced the world. He lived it. And because of that, he can sympathize with us. When you think about the New Testament, think of all the things that Jesus went through. Have you been betrayed in this life? Jesus has been as well. Have you ever been wrongly accused? Jesus has. 
Has somebody ever gossiped and talked behind your back? Have you ever suffered physical pain? Have you ever been in physical need? Have you ever felt lonely? Have you ever suffered loss of someone you love? Have you ever been afraid? Have you ever felt that you've reached the bottom and there's no way out? Someone you love hurting, right? Jesus understands because he has experienced all of those things as well. We don't have a wonderful counselor that can't relate with us. We have a wonderful counselor who knows us, who knows our struggles, who knows our pain, and who understands what we are going through. And he says to us, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus understands what we are going through. He is wonderful, and he advises and directs from a place of authority. The next thing we see about Jesus, our wonderful counselor, is that he cares for you. 1 Peter 5 is this incredible passage. and It says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And verse 7 says, cast all of your anxiety, all of your fears on him because he cares for you. When we are crippled with fear and anxiety, we can cast our troubles on Jesus because he cares for us. He doesn't just relate. He doesn't just listen. But he cares for you and he cares for me. That's a you and me. One of the greatest testaments of this comes in Romans 5, 8, where it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for you. He died for me while we were still sinners. He didn't die for us because of anything we can do for him, but he died for us out of his love for us. He thinks so much of you that he sent his son to die for you to rescue you from your pain and your suffering, to give you a new hope, a new life and salvation. God cares for you. God's not indifferent to you. He's not out to get you. But instead, the Bible says he loves you, he cares for you, and he knows and understands what you're going through. If you flash back to Hebrews 4.15, it says that Jesus empathizes with our struggles and with our weakness. That's our next point. Jesus empathizes with our struggles and our weaknesses. Paul writes in Romans 8, 26 and 27, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Paul says in the midst of pain, in the midst of trial, in the midst of weakness, in the midst of tribulation, the Holy Spirit helps us. He intercedes or prays on the behalf of the believer in accordance with the perfect will of God. And he feels and he sympathizes with our pain. Paul writes that the Spirit groans through us, which mirrors creation and emotes deep emotion. The Spirit feels our pain with us. God doesn't look back at us indifferent to what we're going through, but he feels it with us. If you grew up in church and, and you went to any sort of children's program that required you to memorize scripture, there was one verse you surely knew. And that verse is John eleven thirty five, And you memorize that verse for only one reason. And you memorize it because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. John 30, 11, 35 is two words, and they are Jesus wept. And this verse comes in the midst of the story where Jesus would raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. And it's such a strange verse, or it seems like a strange verse, because Jesus arrives here at Lazarus' house, and he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead in just minutes. He knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. 
But he gets there and he looks around. He sees the pain of those suffering, of those mourning from the death of Lazarus. Then it says he wept or he was moved to tears. He feels their pain. He is grieved over the sadness that sin and death has caused in our lives and in the world. And Paul tells us here that in the same way God feels our pain and he weeps with us. God lives with the perspective of eternity. He knows that our sufferings in this world are temporary. But yet he still loves us so much, so intimately that he feels that pain with us. He groans, he weeps, he feels as we go through the pains, the struggles, the difficulties, the evil that this world throws at us. And he says, your pain is real, and I feel it with you. That's so comforting to me. God's not indifferent to me. He's not indifferent to you. He knows what we're struggling with. He knows the hurt and the pain that we are experiencing. And he grieves and he feels that pain with us. Jesus is a wonderful counselor that doesn't just listen for an hour and cash our check. He is a wonderful counselor that knows us, understands our struggles, cares about our hurts and our emotions, and he empathizes with us. But not only does he care with me, but he has the power and the authority to transform and change my life in his power. He is an almighty, wonderful, all-powerful, loving counselor, and he is with us always. And that's our final characteristic of who Jesus is, our wonderful counselor. God is with you always if you are his. And we'll talk about this a lot on Christmas Eve when we look at Isaiah 7 and the, the prophecy of Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. But one of the reasons we can trust in Jesus as our wonderful counselor is because he is with us. He comes to earth, and then when Jesus ascends to heaven, he leaves the Holy Spirit, which means God literally indwells us if we are his. And so when we're called to obey, to change, to follow, when we're called to do something difficult, when we are called to sacrifice, when we feel like we can't press on, we can do so because he is with us. We walk through trials, crises, and tribulations. We can endure because God is with us. When life seems too hard to go on, we don't know what to do next. When the enemy knocks at the door, we can trust that God cares for us because he is with us. And we can trust him in the midst of anything. Right? That's why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Jesus because he is our Savior. He is our wonderful counselor. He, the God of the universe is not indifferent to me. He's not indifferent to you. Instead, we're told he knows us, understands what we're going through, cares for us, sympathizes with us, and he is with us always as we walk through the hurts and the challenges and the struggles of this life. So that's who Jesus is, our wonderful counselor. But how do we relate with him? If we want to see God transform and change our lives for the better, how do we relate? How do we communicate? How do we follow him? So that's what we're going to talk about in these last few minutes. How do we relate with Jesus, our wonderful counselor? And the first thing we must do if we want the, the help of the wonderful counselor is we must be honest with him. Right? When we talk about our issues with others, when we share our issues with God, we have a, a tendency to keep the real truth about our situation, about our problems, about our addictions, about our sins. We have a temptation to conceal that. We often feel shame about the issue. and We don't want to share it to, with anyone or even acknowledge the issue to ourselves. But I think any counselor will tell you, tell you that until you admit the issue, admit what you are facing, admit what you are challenged with, and be honest, then you can't get help. 
And so when we approach our wonderful counselor, we have to be fully honest with Jesus. Being changed by God is not some magical event that just cures all of our problems in this life. But we must be a part of it if we want to be changed and transformed, become more like him. So I was studying for this. I heard a story of a guy who was visiting a counselor. And the guy was super stressed out at work and his relationships at home were suffering. He was having trouble sleeping. His health was uh, deteriorating. This guy was an extremely driven man and he'd just work and work and work and drive ahead. And the counselor was asking him all these probing questions about why he lived like this and, and what, what he was doing. He'd say, well, I do it for my family. He would say, man, this is the only time I can get ahead in this life. He would say, well, the work is just so important. It affects so many people's lives. The counselor finally said to him, you have to stop making excuses and admit that you are an addict. He said, some people are addicted to drugs or alcohol or porn, but you are addicted to adrenaline, the praise of others, and the, success, and the pride that success brings. He said to him, you are willing to sacrifice whatever you need to to get those feelings whether it be your family, your health, your integrity, whatever. He said, until you admit that, you will never change. J.D. Greer said, you've got to be honest. God's not going to change your life without changing you. I love that. God can't change your life without changing you. But our fear is that if we really admitted our issues, if we really admitted our thinking, our addictions, our struggles, then everyone including God, would walk away from us. That's what, that's what our mind tells us. That's the lies we hear. But the good news is we have a wonderful counsel that will never walk away, that will never forsake us. But it's that he came and died for our sins while we were still sinners. We can trust our wonderful counselor and trust that he has already paid the price for our sins so we can be completely honest with him and trust his faithfulness. When I think about this, I think back to a story in John chapter 4 when Jesus encounters the woman at the well. If you know that story, this, this lady was a mess. She's at the well all alone because nobody else will be around her. She'd been through a string of, of failed marriages, and at the time she encounters Jesus, she's living in an adulterous relationship with a man she wasn't married to. And for the first half of this conversation, she just tries to distract. She tries to hide and redirect the conversation from her struggles, from her sins, from her failures. Because she assumes that Jesus would shun her just like everyone else had in her life. And finally gets to the point where Jesus looks at her and he says, look, I know who you are. I know you've had five husbands. I know that the man you're currently living with is not your, your husband. I knew that when I started this conversation. And yet I still came for you. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He already knows our hearts. He already knows our struggles and our sins. And yet he still died for you and I. He still loves us. He still offers forgiveness, even in our brokenness and our depravity, just as he offered the woman at the well. Our wonderful counselor has promised that his power is so great that there is no problem you have that he can't deal with. And his love for you is so great, he will never turn away from you. He will never forsake you. There is nothing about you that you could reveal that will surprise him. Nothing that is not already covered by his blood and that his blood cannot transform and heal. So we must be honest with our wonderful counselor and with ourselves that we want to be healed. 
The next thing we see is that if we want to be healed, we must be willing to be healed. That seems like a, a strange point. But if we want help, we must be willing to accept it. In John chapter 5, Jesus encounters a lame man who is begging and who has been lame for 38 years. And he asks him a seemingly obvious but strange question. He says, do you want to get well? That seems like a strange question. But it's a question we have to consider. Do we actually want to be healed? And are we willing to make the changes necessary to be healed? Oftentimes in life, we want to experience the benefits of healing, but we don't want to go through the, the painful choices that must accompany healing. We want God to clean up the mess of our lives without dealing with the, the choices and patterns that got us in that mess. Oftentimes we want the healing touch of Jesus, but we don't really want Jesus. So often we cry out to Jesus when we are in the midst of crisis like King Ahaz was. And we want his healing touch in the moment, but we don't want Jesus. We don't want a relationship with him. We don't want to follow his direction, and we don't want to make him Lord of, his, of our life. We just want his powerful, magical touch to heal us. We don't want someone to tell us what to do. But if we want to be healed, if we want to be changed beyond the crisis, then we have to follow Jesus and make him Lord of our life. The great theologian Augustine, in his confessions, he said, I prayed this often, Lord, make me pure, but just not yet. And so often that's what we say. God, heal me. God, make me like you, but just not yet. Or God, I want to be like you. I want to follow you, but I don't want to change what I'm doing. And so the question is, do we want to be healed and make the changes, choices, and make Jesus the Lord of our life that it requires? Jesus says to us as our wonderful counselor, I can heal you. I can lead you forward, but do you want to be healed? So we have to be honest with Jesus. We have to want to be healed. And finally, we have to do what he tells us to do. But we have to follow his instructions if we want to be healed. Again, this seems like a no-brainer, but as we said earlier, so often we want the healing and the crisis, but we don't want to make the difficult life changes that God asks us to. When we go to the doctor, we don't claim to be smarter than the doctor, we, but when we follow their instructions, we follow the directions, and in that we can be healed of our sickness. Well, at least most of us don't claim to be smarter than the doctor. You get on the blogosphere, you can find a lot of people smarter than the doctors. But anyway, if the doctor prescribes an antibiotic, we don't decide that we know better. No, we take the medicine and we follow the directions, and in that we can expect to be healed. But in the same way, if we aren't willing to follow and obey Jesus, then we can't expect him to change our lives. But when you read the Gospels, Jesus often asks people to do difficult things in order to follow him. And sometimes he asks them to do strange things. In Matthew, Jesus encounters the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he says to him, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, go and sell all of your possessions and then follow me. And in that story, Jesus knew what the idol was in his life. He knew the thing that was of most value to that rich young ruler. And he said, get rid of it and follow me. And in the case of the rich young ruler, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't follow the wise counselor's directions, and he missed out on Jesus. The text says Jesus loved him. He wanted to have eternal life, but he wouldn't lay it down to follow Jesus. That's the question we are asked. Will we make him Lord of our life? Will we follow him? 
Again, so often we want the healing touch of the wise counselor, but we aren't willing to follow his instructions. We aren't willing to let him touch and change certain areas of our lives. Oftentimes we know through the scriptures, we, we know through the wisdom of others, we know through the preaching of God's word what it is we need to change in our lives. But we're not honest with ourselves. We don't really want to be healed in that area. And then we're not willing to follow Jesus' instruction. Right? There's times that Jesus says, forgive someone, and it doesn't make sense because you know they're going to do it again. Or maybe the hurt is too deep. Sometimes Jesus calls us to, to end a relationship that we know we shouldn't be in, but we don't want to because we are afraid of being alone. Sometimes Jesus calls us to move or to take a step of faith forward, but we don't want to because we are comfortable or afraid. Following God is not always easy or comfortable, but that doesn't mean it isn't worth it or right. And it's at those times we have to decide, do we really trust Jesus? Not do we just trust him on Sunday mornings in church, but do we trust Jesus with our life, with our problems? Do we trust Jesus with what we're going through? Do we trust him enough to surrender control, stop trying to solve every problem on our own, and just doing what he has called us to do? James 1, 5-8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. We love to reference verse 5 of that section of Scripture. Verse 5, which says, if you, lack, if you lack wisdom, ask God. But then we kind of ignore or gloss over the context. Jesus says, James says, ask and it will be given to you, but you must believe and not doubt. Because if you ask for wisdom but don't believe in the wise counselor or don't trust him with your life or won't follow his instruction in the midst of your struggles, then it is useless and you are like a wave tossed in the ocean. Jesus as a wise counselor isn't a genie that just solves our problems. But he is the one true God that is wonderful beyond imagination. He is greater than all of our struggles and he offers himself and he offers wisdom and instruction for what we are going through. But we must believe in him and we must be willing to obey and do what he calls us to do. So those are three questions we ask ourselves as we approach the wonderful counselor. One, are we willing to be honest with him? Two, do we actually want to be healed? And then three, are we willing to follow his instructions on our lives? So as Emily comes and she's going to play for us. Uh, there's different places we could be. For some of us, we might be here and we don't have a relationship with the wonderful counselor. Oh. Uh, we, don't, we don't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And that's the case. That's the first thing we must do. We must surrender our lives and trust that he died the death our sin deserved. That he rose victorious over that and he offers us life. And I'm sure we are here and we are all dealing with different struggles and different pains and different problems in our lives. Right? That's the... It's life in this world. For us, maybe we're here and we just need to, uh, in these next few moments where Emily plays, we just need to be honest with Jesus. You say, hey, this is what I'm going through. I don't know the way forward. I don't know what to do. Just be honest with him. And that just rests in the, the amazing truth that he hears our prayers. He, he feels our struggles with us. 
He is there to help. Or maybe we're here and we, we know the way forward. And we need to do two things. We need one, we need to be willing to be healed. And two, we need to be uh, willing to trust and follow his instruction. If you're like me, oftentimes we know what God is calling us to do long before we say yes and do what he calls us to do. So I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray, I just ask you to uh, bow your head. Emily's just going to play for a couple of minutes. And during those couple of minutes, just to reflect on who Jesus is, our wonderful counselor, and turn over your struggles and problems to him. Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are not a God that is distant. You are not a God that is indifferent to us. You're not a God that is against us. Instead, we know that you are a God that loves us and cares for us. God, we thank you that at Christmas you sent Jesus to come to earth to save us of our sins and to be our wonderful counselor. We thank you that you already know what it is we're walking through today. God, I pray that we would turn that over to you, that we would find rest in who you are, rest in the truth that you know our pain, you empathize with our pain, and you want to lead us forward. That we would find rest in the truth that we do have a future, and we can look forward to that. And God, I pray if there's someone here that you are working in their lives, they know what they need to do to follow you. God, I pray you give them the courage to say, yes, I want to be healed. And then give them the courage to not just say yes on Sunday morning, but to go home and take the steps that you are calling them to, to follow after you. The steps you're calling them to, to be healed from whatever it is they're suffering from. God, I pray they would find their hope in you, their wonderful counselor. God, we thank you that you don't just hear our troubles, you don't just know our troubles, you don't just feel our troubles, but God, that you are mighty and you are able to heal. May we find our hope in you this week. It's your name we pray. Again, Lord, we thank you that you are a wonderful counselor, that you know us, love us, empathize with us, care for us, and God, that you are able to change and transform our lives, to deal with our struggles and our problems. May we give them to you this week. God, we love you and we praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I've got some announcements for you. Uh, first of all, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card in the area of you. If you don't mind filling that out and placing the box on the back table, we would appreciate it. In terms of announcements, we've got a, a long list. Uh, small group generally meets on Sunday nights from 6 to 7, but there is no small group this week. We will meet back uh, next week. Uh, youth group and kids nights meet on Wednesday nights here at the church from 6 to 7. 
you have questions about those, come and see me. We will have our uh, children, youth, and Christmas parties on December 14th, which is a Wednesday night. And then that will be our last uh, kids' night and youth group until the new year. Uh, kids' choir practices on Wednesday nights. They will be doing their performance on December 18th, so please uh, plan to join us for that. Uh, the giving tree is out in the lobby, and those are opportunities to buy gifts for uh, families in our community that are in need and to uh, bless them this Christmas season. If you have questions about that, there's information out there, or you can see uh, Miss Casey. Uh, and those presents have to be back and wrapped uh, by December 11th, right? All right, perfect. Um, on December 11th, we'll also have a budget meeting after church, if you'd like to stay for that. Uh, there are budgets on that back table, so you can look them over uh, and then develop any questions you might have. But please stay for that on December 11th. And then Christmas Eve, that's December 24th. Uh, we're going to have our Christmas Eve service here at the church at 6 o'clock. Um, that's a family service, so come uh, bring your family, invite a friend, and that will be a great time. On Christmas Day, Christmas Day is on a Sunday this year, which is unique and weird. Um, so we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, there will not be a normal um, service on, on Christmas morning, uh, but the church will be open from 10 to 11. The heat will be on. Christmas music will be playing. I will be available just to talk and to pray with anyone that uh, would like somewhere to be that morning, um, but it won't be a normal uh, Sunday service. So if you got questions about that, you can come and see me. Um, but yeah, that's what we're doing this year. So thank you for being here. If you have questions about any of that, come and see me. Uh, we hope you have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you again next week. You are dismissed.